Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the CM360 Podcast. I'm Richard Steenan, Chief Research Analyst at IT Harvest. I write books on IT security and I work with IT security technology providers on their go-to-market and I'm a trusted advisor to CISOs and their teams. In today's episode, I'm joined by Jason Hart, CTO at Rapid7, and we're here to talk about scaling cybersecurity into a business process. Welcome, Jason. Hey, Richard. It's been a, a long time since we last spoke. Indeed it has. Jason, I, uh, this is a fantastic topic because as organizations mature, they go from that fighting today's battles to thinking about, hey, how can we be more effective, uh, spend less, hopefully, but at least do with the resources we have what we need to do to counter an ever-rising uh, attack environment that we're in. So what do you see as the key problems when it comes to cybersecurity effectiveness and creating a program around it? Yeah, great question, Richard. So, you know, as we've kind of spoken many times over the many years, you know, if we go back 25 years ago, even 20 years ago, or even 15 years ago, um, the ability to get stakeholder awareness to uh, for budget to, you know, at that time purchase a firewall or even get the, the renewal for the firewall was pretty hard. Um, we stepped forward 20, 25 years to today. You know, if you go to stakeholders and request budget for anything cybersecurity related, it, it tends to kind of uh, flow quite easily. And we've kind of gone from one extreme to another. And the problem that I'm seeing around the globe at the moment is we are effectively implementing technology, which is great. But the challenge that I'm seeing is the the effectiveness between the alignment of actually the business requirements, the technology, and the process to bring all that together. So ultimately, what's happening, Richard, is you're seeing this year-on-year CAGR of spend on cybersecurity. The operational cost is also increasing. And also, if you look at the data, the, the number of breaches occurring. And for me, this fundamentally comes down to the ability to what I call operationalized cybersecurity to allow an organization to manage over time and reduce the operational costs, but also effectively manage the appropriate risk in context of that organization. And what do you see as you know an effective cybersecurity program? How would you know if you had an effective cybersecurity program? Only last week, uh, a pretty well-known organization, I, I was in with that organization, but not necessarily challenging, but talking to different parts of the organization after a, a pretty much a near miss had occurred. You know, they had all the appropriate technology in place. And my immediate question to the board was, okay, how do you challenge the organization on the effectiveness? And their instant response was, well, we have ISO, we have SOC2, et cetera. So I said, you know, what KPI, what dashboarding are they providing you to, for you to be able to challenge them appropriately? Well, you know, we get a you know a hundred page report on all the vulnerabilities that are present within the organisation. That was kind of the the opening gambit. Was okay, so you don't direct the organisation on you know in the event a critical vulnerability is identified in a particular part of the organisation, 
you're not measuring the, the mean time to remediation for that. Basically, Richard, to answer your question in, in a more sh- shorter manner is using the appro- appropriate KPIs and SLAs as levers within an organization to manage accountability and ownership and remediation of threats and risk. And if I go to any security team and I say to them, okay, you know, tell me of open risks or open vulnerabilities, they will say, Jason, here they all are here. And I'll say, right, why aren't you actually reducing those? And the first thing everyone says is, well, we're reliant on another part of the organization to do the remediation or the the effectiveness of reducing that risk. So what it comes down to, Richard, is the, the current operating model actually is not effective in an organization. And it comes down to clear lines of ownership, accountability, races, and clearly defined matrix and KPIs across the whole organization. Yeah, that sometimes that's hard to identify what those KPIs are. Um, but you pointed out a critical thing. I, uh, um, I think that you know, if you're measuring those and you see that, hey, in, in areas that we control, our mean time to remediation for a newly discovered vulnerability is small, right? It's effective. It's uh, before the exploits are in the wild. That's great. But in these other areas, which are controlled by completely different teams, production and sales or marketing, whatever, uh, it takes longer because they control it. So maybe that's gives the executives a focus, you know, who, which teams can they start to bring into the fold of faster reaction times and paying attention to what the CISO tells them. Again, it, it comes down to the, you know, making security part of the business process. Every, I, I get the sense and everywhere I, everyone I talk to and all, all organizations around the, the world, ir- irrespective of the size or the, the, the industry, you know, those clearly defined processes kind of are, are very woolly. And I think you picked up on a really important part there. Traditionally, cybersecurity has kind of been centralized. It actually needs to be decentralized and ownership and accountability needs to be across the whole organization. But if the organization hasn't clearly defined that, then that's where you you get the breakdown. And I think for any of your listeners listening today, a really good way of doing this is is kind of first of all, what is the scope? You know, let's just take vulnerability management as a as an example. Kind of, I, I call it the OPU moment. Is you know, what is your OPU moment within your organisation? Excuse the phrase, but what I mean by that is, if you were to receive a phone call to say you've been compromised, which business function would you go? Oh dear, did they get there? So immediately, that's your first kind of. First priority from a scoping perspective. Now, where I'm going with this, Richard, is you've identified that, you know, that critical business function, and then there's going to be other business functions. So as a vulnerability is identified, let's say a critical vulnerability was identified. Now, that vulnerability could be across the whole organization. To remediate that, there's an amount of heavy lifting and, you know, kind of a lot of hoops to jump through. But if the organization has clearly defined that scope to say, actually, for this critical vulnerability, we're going to focus on this business function because that is the biggest impact. As a business, we want any critical vulnerabilities within that business function to be resolved within, let's say, seven days. So now all the business has to do is actually track against that matrix. So our, you know, I call it protection level agreement. The protection level agreement for critical vulnerabilities in that business function is seven days. So now everyone within that business function who supports that 
knows the expectation is has to be resolved within seven days. What it does, it allows the business to focus on it, where it on the context. <clears throat> it allows the business to track it. And more importantly, stakeholders can look at that matrix and go, well, hold on, we haven't met that seven days. So what's going on? That allows other parts of the business to say, yes, I understand I'm accountable for resolving that in seven days, but sales are pushing down on that new feature or function for us to release. So we haven't been able to do it. So that then becomes a business conversation. I love that approach. Um, as you're talking, I'm thinking that this could be a, a way for security to drive the business transformation, especially with legacy systems, because it's the old Solaris servers in the data center that take months to patch because there's a lot of them or PDP. I've seen PDP 11 still in data centers. And so you could say, look at, you know, yes, that business is still ongoing and generating revenue and it's probably profitable. uh, But every time we have to patch it, 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 in danger of being completely compromised. Um, so maybe we should start to modernize and move it to modern infrastructure that we can address in the, the fast cycle times that we've demonstrated with some of our cloud applications. Yeah, 100%. We, we, we tend to use this approach at Rapid7 quite a lot. Um, you know, from a Rapid7 perspective, you know, we have an amazing platform that provides the context allows organizations to contextually understand the, the risk, the threats, and, and the vulnerabilities, you know, agnostic to the, the environment that they're across. But what we see is you could have this amazing platform that we provide at Rapid7, but unless you've got this operating model to actually start that transformation, then ultimately you, you're not going to accelerate that transformation or For me personally, which, as you know from previous slides, I'm extremely passionate about making cybersecurity part of the business process because then it just becomes normalized. It becomes part of the culture. It's clearly measurable. And ultimately, in the event something was to occur, that organization can can clearly show accountability on, on risk and managing risks. And I think, Richard, where I'm kind of going on this is Taking this approach, it allows stakeholders and board members within the organization to look at security just like they would look at their P&L and EBIT dial. It's giving them the the appropriate levers in a non-technical way to manage and accept and transfer risk in a way that they would do just like with finance. Sure. So paint a picture for us of what a good operating model for cybersecurity looks like and you know draw from examples that i'm sure you've seen of hey this is the best way to do it yeah we, let's start with with the scope okay we don't have to get kind of too complex on the scope but clearly identifying you know breaking down the the business as in business functions into into critical into medium and into low impact so going back to you know the old-fashioned way simple business impact assessment okay doesn't need to be, you know, you don't need spreadsheets. You can just do this on a simple A4 piece of paper or PowerPoint and, and just create your X and Y axis, break it down into, into the three elements. So clearly defining the scope is, is, is really critical. Once you've identified the scope based on business function and, and, and the impact, then you can kind of 
um, not kind of, you can start defining the, the protection level agreements. So from a vulnerability management perspective and a you know, target operator model for that, you've got your scope, you've defined your protection level agreements to say, right, anything in these business functions and critical, the protection level agreement is going to be, you know, 20 days, 10 days. In the, in the middle section, in the medium risk, it's going to be 60 days. And in the low risk, it's going to be essentially 80 days. Now, what you can actually do, you can, can break that down and, and define that scope into a next level. You can do that, you know, web-facing, internal-facing, or even third parties. So, again, what you end up with is multiple protection level agreements based on is it public-facing and the, the, the level of criticality. Now, we have that. Ultimately, we have the scope and we have the protection level agreements. Actually, wouldn't it be great to be able to apply that to the technology itself? So now you take that information and you apply that within your vulnerability management tooling. So you can define the protection level agreement or the SLA. You can define the scope, the business function and tag it. So simply now, all you do is your dashboards and, and your automated reporting will present that as an automated executive report in a way that they can understand. Straight away, you know, you're getting context, you're getting visibility of transformation and change, and you're giving the appropriate information to the appropriate personas in the organization. Once you've done that 30 days in, now you need to address the accountability and ownership. So that becomes part of a, a broader conversation where the other stakeholders in the organization, let's say, You've got the, the, this reporting now coming out on a weekly or monthly basis. Obviously, there's no change occurring. So in this particular business function, it's relying on product management to ensure that in the backlog that there is, you know, allocation, you know, maybe, you know, 5% of, of backlog to resolve those, those vulnerabilities or that the consideration is made. If you go in 60 days later and there's no change, it really becomes a broader business conversation. So the product manager and I can, you know, have the broader conversation with his stakeholders, etc. So what you do is, you know, just by simply defining the scope, defining the protection level agreements, implementing implementing that into the vulnerability management platform, it drives a broader conversation about ownership, accountability, and then it all comes down to 101 basic measurements in a way that the organization can understand. Got it. I like that approach. Does it... Um makes sense to centralize the responsibility for this process or is it something that should start that distribution so again you know i I'm, i'm i'm conscious as an industry we're really good inventing new ways of kind of doing kind of transformation or doing new new things in the cybersecurity industry richard and i'm sure you see many examples of that um a really good simple way of doing this is clearly defining the racy Put a simple racy in place for your vulnerability management, your threat intelligence, your application, your cloud security, and use that racy to drive change across the organization. It's really simple. Wait, uh, define racy for me. The acronym is roles, accountability, communicate, and inform. Got it. So just having that implemented would get you a lot closer to where you want to be, which is having you know uh, effective cyber operations correct so what you're doing then is you know and going back to kind of the the opening conversation we had you've got a set of business requirements about scope about impact about risk and you know so that's the the business requirements expectations we've clearly defined that 
we've identified it. We're overlaying that into the technology stack now. And then to the right of that, we, we have the process which drives the, the broader elements. So you're actually gluing those three distinct boxes, which are always silos, bringing them together. And then more importantly, you're kind of removing the compound effect of lost in translation where, you know, who's doing what, who's accountable, who should be doing that? No, it's their fault. No, they should be doing it. So you're kind of really kind of putting this into a box, which ultimately becomes part of the business process. By making it become part of the business process, you can reduce your operational cost for cybersecurity. You're utilizing, you know, the functionality within the technology to automate that operational change for yourself. And at the same time, and more importantly, you're reducing risk. So it's a win-win for everyone. This has been great, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your coming on. Also, thank you to everyone listening. We hope you took a lot away from today's podcast. For further information on what we've talked about, please head on over to rapid7.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to EM360Tech.com.